staying strong while I'm going and I'm striving. I'm relying on myself for as long as I'm surviving. Taking no excuses because your words are just useless. Kick off the dust and let's do this. Something has gone wrong with the flow of information. It's not that just different. It's not just that different people are drawing subtly different conclusions from the same evidence. It seems like different intellectual communities no longer share basic foundational beliefs. Maybe nobody cares about the truth anymore, as some have started to worry. Maybe political allegiance has replaced basic reasoning skills. Maybe we've all become trapped in echo chambers of our own making, wrapping ourselves in an intellectually impenetrable layer of like-minded friends and web pages and social media feeds. But there are two very different phenomena at play here, each of which subvert the flow of information in very distinct ways. Let's call them echo chambers and epistemic bubbles. Both are social structures, both are social structures that systematically exclude sources of information. Both exaggerate their members' confidence in their beliefs, but they work in entirely different ways and they require very different modes of intervention. An epistemic bubble is when you don't hear people from the other side. An echo chamber is what happens when you don't trust people from the other side. That was written by C. C. Nguyen, professor at Utah Valley University, writing an article for Aeon. We believe that's how it's pronounced. Aeon, Eon, we're not really sure. But we, come, we stumbled across that. Well, let me back up. We didn't stumble across that. Corey and I were sitting and talking about uh, different episodes, what we want to do. And for this episode, we'd come up with the idea of talking about confirmation bias. So in deciding that's what we wanted to talk about, one of the things we ran across was that quote um, in the article written there. And it's a very lengthy article. It talks at great length about those two things, those two competing ideals. Well, I guess they're not competing. They're more like complementary ideals, but we sometimes say like echo chambers are the all encompassing belief of confirmation bias. But what he broke it down into is that there's also those epistemic bubbles, um, that are a little bit more innocuous than the actual echo chamber is. And I thought it was pretty cool that, um, there was a lot more detail in that article about this thing that we wanted to talk about, which is the overarching, idea of confirmation bias. And what that kind of encompasses is, and what we thought about the theme, I guess you could say for this episode is, um, why a narrow pointed viewpoint keeps us or a narrow viewpoint keeps us narrow minded in general. Right. Yeah, absolutely. So I think kind of on the heels of our, of our last podcast about social media and, and all the things that come with that and um, some of the driving factors behind social media, you know, the algorithms, how things are working, what it's showing us, what, uh, you know, just even how maybe we um, build our feed, if you will. If you set up a Facebook account and you invite all your friends that you know, and then Facebook recommends, well, based on those friends, here's 12 more people you might know. And you're like, I do know those people or I don't, but they share similar ideals. How many of us in life are actually going out and saying, I'm going to find contrary viewpoints? So that's kind of step one in setting up these um, social constructs we have on, on social media. How are, we, how are we populating our feed, number one? 
Are we populating it specifically with differing viewpoints or are we simply taking the people we've already surrounded ourselves with, piling them into these uh, um, platforms and then letting those platforms show us more of that same viewpoint? And and so if we're if we're digesting large amounts of information in a daily daily uh, mental space from those platforms, are we getting any alternate viewpoints? And if those alternate viewpoints are coming in, um, what are we doing with those? And I think that's something that Corey and I really wanted to talk about here was um, what happens when you either don't ever get contrary advice to your viewpoint, or if you go down, what he's saying there is, is if you go down into uh, even deeper into an echo chamber where you actually actively disbelieve anything that's contrary to you. It's not just the sake of I'm not listening to it, but if I do hear it, I undermine it. I, I uh, broadcast it as evil. Um, I do everything to completely be contrary to that viewpoint instead of I just don't get it. I think the uh, the epistemic bubble as he that's just gonna be a word I'm gonna fucking stumble over about 75 <laughs> times because every time I read it in that article, it's like uh, EpiPen. Systemic. I don't know, even though we put it all together, it's epistemic. Uh, the epistemic bubble is kind of what I think all of our Facebook and uh, Instagram and Pinterest and Twitter feeds all would be. And I'll even use like Parler, the new, the new one that just got shut down. Yeah. Uh, it's no longer new. Yeah. Um, Parler was, was the epitome of a uh, epistemic bubble and to some extent an echo chamber on top of it. Cause it got populated by a very specific political viewpoint quite, quite rapidly. And so when I went on there the first couple of times, I was like, Whoa, this is like my Facebook feed, but more pointed, way more direct. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I, I had a handful of interactions on parlor, but to go back to the, one of the points he made is, is when we set up these social media accounts and we're, we're propagating our feeds, you know, and we're, we're putting information into the system and these algorithms that have been designed to curtail our content to support whatever it is that's going to keep us engaged, right? If I'm being, if I'm being shown things that I'm not interested in, or I ha- I find I have conflicting views, I'm not going to be engaged. So it's not in their best interest to show me opposing thoughts or views, or not even to go to that extent, show me a Ford product, right? When I'm a, a Dodge guy or vice versa, you know? And so where are they getting a lot of information from? It's coming off your mobile device. A mobile device, you've already curtailed all the content on there to begin with through your contacts and things like that. And, oh, let me access your contacts. I'll find your friends for you. And so they have a massive head start before you even start utilizing their service. And then it's their job to optimize whatever it is that you're going to do to keep you engaged. It's not what information is best for you. It's not about providing you the best piece of content. It's providing you content that will pique your interest to keep you engaged in their service. So in turn, going back to our previous episode, they can monetize your interaction on the internet. And if we're not mindful of that, because I, I definitely wasn't mindful of how do I want to grow my social media feeds or how do I want to grow my personal relationships? You know, it's not until in the recent past that I've really started putting thought into the people I'm investing time, effort, and energy to uh, the types of people that we hire within our business, my partnership, um, the relationships that my wife has, and how does that translate into relationships that I have through her relationships? And you know, it's 
as I try to challenge myself, um, and, and we can talk about it later, right? Where I'm trying not to be have a bias on biases, right? Yeah. And and the difficulty in that is is not having the ignorance of well, I'm utilizing critical thinking skills, so therefore I cannot be biased, you know, because uh, I. I read this really interesting article where they talk about how you have the elephant and the rider. I don't know if you've ever heard that. Yes. Analogy. Jonathan Haidt. Okay. Yeah. I'm, not, I'm not sure who wrote it, but he, he's the one that coined that thing. It's uh, the, um, the happiness hypothesis is the book that he wrote it in. Okay. Yeah. And it's got a yeah. big, got a big brain going on over here. I don't know how <laughs> I just pulled that out of my ass. So. Big brain. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's one. Um, but you know, talking about how the elephant is your subconscious mind. You know, and as human beings, we, we naturally have to do a lot of things in our subconscious, right? We're not actively for the most part, I really hope you're not in a situation where you're having to go, I need to breathe, right? Take another breath. There's a lot of things that we're I doing. I bet people like that. <laughs> <laughs> like, hey, buddy, don't forget to breathe right there. Yeah. There's some people who are like, open. <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe don't. No. Maybe. Um, but, you know, you, you, we're operating on a subconscious level and it, it's interesting enough because I was having a conversation with our production manager about doing things in a certain fashion that's going to yield better results and allow him to handle a higher workload than he's currently comfortable with, but due to not being overworked, but inefficiencies in his own processes and having to show him how there's things you have to do on a conscious level, on a subconscious level to create habits that are going to lead you to where you want. And he he ended up calling me later in the day and thanking me for challenging him in a certain way at work and expressing that he's never been challenged in this way in his life mm-hmm. and took that opportunity to kind of express how his parents haven't really achieved certain levels that he's looking to achieve in his own personal life and his professional life. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and so where he once thought some of these behaviors or just doing the bare minimum would be okay because that's the example that's been set forth now introduce a new person into his life and he's being challenged in a much different way. And it's not because I don't like the kid. I like the kid a lot. I want the best for him. I think he could be an amazing asset to our business. So in essence, he got into basically a production mindset. That's uh, like a confirmation bias. He just goes along doing his work every day and he's looking at it as well, they're happy. And so they're not saying anything contrary to me. And so I must be doing a good job. And I must be doing it the right way. And this is the way, or, or this is the way we've always done it. That's probably one of the worst fucking s- statements in, in life. Um, and so he moves along until you come along and offer an alternate viewpoint on that. Um, one of the things I was thinking about as we were talking about this was, um, I wonder, and, and I'm just saying this hypothetically, I wonder if you're one of those type of people, not you, <laughs> well, I'm not looking at you when I say it, but I'm saying it in like a big existential way. I wonder if you are one of the type of people that argues a lot on the internet with opposing viewpoints. I wonder what the algorithms do with that. Cause I don't know that they, I, I think they probably scan it for content to some extent and stuff. But if let's just say um, person A it has a political viewpoint, but is always going out and being antagonistic with all the viewpoints of B. And that's what they're engaging with a lot on these political posts or religious posts or whatever the hell they be. I wonder if the algorithms are like, oh, you want to see more of that because you spend an awful lot of time digesting that. Um, one of the articles that I kind of started going down on alternate rabbit hole that I didn't want to do here because it actually ties back into our, our last episode with social media stuff. But it was a, uh, an article 
embedded in, in the article we just read by Aon um, about social media and data mining and all that kind of stuff. And um, they're also pulling up what the data is showing is that a lot of people are actually out um, actively searching other content. So let's say I'm an ultra staunch conservative in my beliefs. It seems that that like Google searches are showing that us users would also be searching that out. So that's a, that's a good thing. Um, and in the course of open discourse on other people's posts and stuff, you are exposing yourself to that. But in the very dangerous realm of um, it could be uh, validating your echo chamber status, you're there purposely trying to undermine and purposely trying to discredit anybody that says anything contrary to you. So um, I, I just something that struck me as you were sitting there talking, like maybe social media isn't terrible depending on how you're interacting with it. But as we all know, as we've just kind of laid out, what we run the risk of is setting up these uh, structures in our life that would be very indicative of, of our own personal beliefs. And it seems like we could spend a lot more time interacting with those platforms than we do with coworkers. Let's just say, obviously I have one coworker and I happen to be married to her. So I interact with her really personally. Um, Might've led to a baby here in June, but uh, like, so, but I don't go to the the quote unquote office and I, and I really never have, you know, being from a law enforcement background, we'd have briefings. Clearly we're all from a similar uh, um, viewpoint in life, but not, not fully. There's a lot of liberal people in law enforcement, but we don't spend a lot of time together in a quote office. So I think of those big office environments, but as those things become either in this day and age more remote, so we're not interacting with each other or you're isolated within the building, you're all in your little cubicles and stuff. How much genuine interaction do you have during the day with other people? If you work in an office that had a hundred people in it, how much time are you spending conversing with those people? Little snippets here and there. But if we all look at our iPhone, don't do it because you'll be frightened of how much usage you have per day. It'll tell you how much time you spent on what platform. I can almost guarantee you in every circumstance, you spend more time interacting with your phone platforms than you would with people in person. So now we run the risk of our, our, our bulk of our interaction time is something that is just sitting within our own frame of reference. It's just showing us more of what we believe instead of getting up from my desk and going to talking to Nancy in the cubicle next to me about what she feels about anything. No, absolutely. You know, and I think, I think the harder part of that is we're, we're all doing it for validation, right? We're no one wants to be, or to receive disapproval from their peers, especially people that they care about. Right. And so it's, it's kind of like, it's kind of like sitting in a meeting at work, right. Or even like a briefing and everyone in the whole room is agreeing with the boss saying that, yep. So nine out of 10 people are just like, yep, that's a great idea. And you have very strong belief against it for, for a valid reasons. Maybe you're 100% correct. What is the likelihood of you actually putting your hand up and saying, hey, I can test this, mm-hmm. right? You know, and so we, we, we don't. We don't say anything because we don't want to lose that validation or we don't want to lose that status that we have with our peers or, you know, even uh, the management. And, and so, do you work for a manager that would be open to that stuff? Right. There are some people that are like, I want to know what you guys think. And yet their actual in working example is you raise your hand and go, well, what about this viewpoint? And they're like, I'll see you in my office after this, right. you know? And so they really don't want your opinion. They're giving the appearance of group thought, but they'll smash it at the, at the, at yeah, the, it's the antithesis of group thing, you know? Yeah. 
So I think one of the one of the key points to start with is like, what is confirmation bias and some broad examples of it? I'll read a quote from that same article that, that kind of lays it out in those two terms that we talked about. And then we'll kind of come back and just broadly categorize those two subcategories into confirmation bias. So it says, unfortunately, must have let me start again on that. I have a hard time reading and not like chewing my tongue or something, apparently. Unfortunately, much of the recent analysis has lumped epistemic bubbles together with, epo- <laughs> with echo chambers into a single unified phenomena, but it is absolutely crit- critical and crucial to distinguish between the two. Epistemic bubbles are rather ramshackle. They go up easily and they collapse easily too. Echo chambers are far more pernicious. That's a great word. We need to use that more in daily life. Far more pernicious and far more robust. They can start to seem almost like living things. Their belief systems provide structural integrity, resilience, and active responses to outside attacks. Surely a community can be both at once, but the two phenomena can also exist independently. And of the events we're most worried about, it's the echo chamber effects that are really causing most of the trouble. So I think that's really important to talk about those two things so we can kind of have a broad care. Where do we use those words, epistemic bubble and echo chamber? Or we just say, look, there's two different things here. One is looking at different views and only digesting and consuming certain viewpoints. Then the echo echo chamber is laid out here is actively undermining that. And and I think during the article, the the author lays out cults. They're the perfect example of of an echo chamber. They isolate you from the outside world. They color your beliefs and they do it so um, deeply that something like the Branch Davidians or the goofs down there that had all the quarters in their pockets when they off themselves. Like those things are so that they've they've truly isolated you from every single thing and, and then probably told you that anything contrary to our beliefs is the enemy and they're coming to get you and, and all of this stuff. Um, but then to scale that back and go, well... Fuck, I'm not part of a cult. So what does that have anything to do with me? But in essence, sometimes we all are, right? We all have our own little tribes, our own little cults, and we all have people that we look up to or or follow or believe, and they start telling us stuff and we start looking at that. And then some of it's quite insidious. Some, Some personalities out there are really actively trying to distance you from the other side. Instead of us maybe all working to to work more towards the middle. Like we take our big, huge widespread beliefs and then drill down and get to like a common thing. It seems to be now the heightened state of arousal and and awareness and, and anxiety and sensitivity that we have. We're all sitting here going, how can I, how can I go farther into my camp? How can I be more like the other people around me? And, um, that's where we see the online validation, uh, of all of this stuff. That's where we see that echo chamber really start to amplify. You'll purposely start, stop following people that have a contrary view. You'll attack those people. So everybody that's in your little camp sees me. I really took it to that person, you know, and showed her who's boss via my little keyboard, uh, like quips and jabs and all that. And so all the people that believe like me look at that and we go, yeah, fuck her and, or him and, and move more towards this space. Well, it's hard too, because, you know, it's not, it's not just a confirmation bias, right? Um, you can use an example of like a choice supportive bias where I'm a Mac user, you're a PC user. How right, dare you? you know, <laughs> how dare you? Um, look around yeah. you, sir. <laughs> there are no PCs. I'm sorry. Look at, yeah. look at all my stuff. It's, <laughs> it's all Mac. Uh, 
but you know the point is is that you know that we we advocate for the things that we believe in we've identified in such capacity and we are less likely to listen to conflicting information against those ideas and be an admission of uh, wrongdoing or not knowing enough or being misinformed. Um, and so while there's usually positives to both sides, right, we, we ignore the, the upside to further amplify what it is that we believe in. And that's, that's, I think it's becoming more problematic and more prevalent in today's society where people are advocating more, more and more and more aggressively for whatever it is their their point of view is mm-hmm. and anything that is not considered or defined as supportive of whatever that narrative is you just get shut down yeah right? there's there's nothing to talk about at that point and the I, example i can think of right now is okay so if you're a trump supporter then you're racist um uh white supremacist you know um gun-toting male and that's what anybody that could be considered conservative, we see that side over there using very harsh terms and they're using it directly. They know the inflammatory nature of the words they're saying and they purposely use it. They're not trying to get to a conservative. The conservative is not sitting there and going like, oh man, I, I didn't know I was racist. Like some of a bitch, maybe I examined it. It like bounces off them, but they're trying to further entrench their camp and saying, look, any ideas that come out of this side are xenophobic, misogynist, racist, like 12 other terms I never even knew existed. They're, they're like making them up as they go. And not to just like use that viewpoint, do the same thing. We have a lot of conservative friends and what happens? Somebody puts out an idea. Um, I'll throw it out right now. Dan Crenshaw, he puts out a statement about red flag laws and every freaking person comes after him as they, and they call him red flag Dan now because he had a viewpoint that was slightly different than the conservative narrative. And whether or not I agree with his viewpoint or not is, is irregardless of like what the actual thing is. I don't like what he said. So, so let me like take one of our own and start to undermine him. Right. But then we'll do even broader. Anybody that supports, um, whatever it is, the, the right to choose a woman's right for reproductive health and stuff. Oh, you're just a fucking liberal and, you know, cry liberal to her tears and all this other nonsense. Same thing. We're not doing it to hurt their feelings because we're not going to change that opinion. We're just simply sit, sitting. Let me play to my base and let me further like undermine that. And we'll use inflammatory terms to do that. Snowflakes, liberals, all the different stuff that we use to do to dehumanize that person on the under, other end of that ideal. Yeah, I think the difficult part is, is I don't. I don't think it's the majority, right? I think with the internet and, and social media specifically, people have been given megaphones, yeah. right? Their, their, their words, their actions, their, their videos, their content, however you want to look at it, is being amplified. And for not a lot of money, you can put that information in front of a ton of people. And that's Google, Facebook, Instagrams. That is your value proposition is to take me at that point, the consumer is someone that's trying to promote this product of, of information, if you will. And hey, put it in front of all these people. I can put it in the face of people that I know are going to disagree with that idea, or I can put it in front of people that I know are going to agree with that. And I can cultivate a group of people that are going to reinforce the things that I'm saying and communicating. But the point that I was going to make is that I, I think it's a very small percentage that's doing all the barking. And I think there's a lot of people that are, I guess you would consider persuadable, right? Sure. And I know that I can fall victim to that on specific topics if I'm 
uninformed or not aware of certain things, you know, that I can be more so easily influenced by something that is well said, well written, you know, things like that, 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 you know, play to some of my social cues and things that I can empathize with. And the next thing I know, I'm, I'm advocating for this thing that I really don't know much about, but I have now identified a feeling and that feeling becomes, you know, we talk about my truths, right? And now it's, well, this is the information that I have. I have aligned myself with this thing. This is the, what this thing is communicating. And in turn, I'm, I'm going to back that because I don't know any different. Next thing you know, you're so far into it that you're now you're in your echo chamber and now you're fighting against the other side and you're actively trying to undermine mm-hmm. an opposing view. Yeah. And, and it happens so quickly that if we don't stop and hold ourselves accountable and really hold ourselves accountable, because to sit here and say like, Oh, I have good critical thinking skills. I'm, I'm very patient. I analyze what I'm going to do. I try to be measured in my words those things like that. Sure. When I'm trying very hard in a specific situation, but then when I'm being lazy or casual in my life, I, all that goes out the window. Like that takes a crap ton of effort. Which, and what else does it take w- when in the course of human history, all of that would have been done in person, right? Mm-hmm. Think about the orators of old that would stand in front of large crowds and speak for hours. Or I always think about native Americans cause I, I have like <laughs> very little in my blood, but I identify very heavily with it. And, and I'm kind of in awe of their life and, and they would sit and listen to the elders, but what would there always be that is lacking now on the internet? Sorry to throw that at you. I'll answer it for you. Go uh, for it. <laughs> it would be a level of respect. Right. So you're more apt to do that if you or I or our friends are out on a bike ride and we're having a conversation and we know that somebody throws something out there and it could be inflammatory or it's not something you agree with or whatever it be. When we have that conversation in person with somebody that we care about, it would come with a level of respect that comes with the social norms of I don't want to offend that person or in days gone by, I don't want to get punched in the face (laughs) or, but really it would come with a level of respect that we tend to lack when it's an online experience, especially now if that person saying that is removed from us, if it's you saying it on the internet, because I'm your friend, because I know I will see you again, we will have a little bit bigger level of respect. But I think a lot of this comes from the fact that we just don't respect people that we don't know and, and still are interacting with. That is one of the um, disadvantages of the internet that, that has come from this form of social interaction that has been unlike anything in, in human history because it's at almost, well, it actually could be live. People could be doing lives and you're, you're interacting with them on a live basis. Almost at no point in history have we had that. We've had news broadcasts. We've had newspapers. We've had things that are one-sided. A one-sided view is getting put out and you could be sitting at home consuming that, but you have no method of live interaction with that of going, fuck you. I don't like your thing. Right. And, and now we do, I can post something and bam, as soon as it hits the interwebs within seconds, I can get, well, I could get hearts just simply. Boom, I yeah, heard that, that feedback. Yeah. Or you can get the like thumbs down. I'm like, Oh, that makes me sad. Somebody thumbed down me. That, that's just, give you thumb down. I don't know. Try it. I'll thumb you down next time you put it in post. I'm going to just all thumb. Well, I, th- I think you. like YouTube and Reddit, I think you can, you can upvote and downvote. Yes. Yeah. But I think before it used to just be the heart. So by not hearting something, do you not like it? Yeah. <laughs> but now I think you can do the like sad face or 
tears or like seven other weird emojis. But now we can have live interactions and live feedback and be contrary to something almost immediately or while you're doing a live and simply counter your viewpoints with no now measure of decorum because whoever shouts the loudest gets heard. Well, it's, it's interesting because, you know, one of the corresponding points that I wanted to make when I was talking about our production manager is the fact that I, I'm aware of the improvements he needs to make in the way in which he's going about doing his job because we don't have enough bandwidth to process the information in a meaningful level to really sit down and, and analyze these things. And so we have to take shortcuts you know, in doing that. And a lot of those times we take those shortcuts in our subconscious and conscious minds. And we, we are having to evaluate so much information so quickly all the time that we are defaulting to these predetermined biases that have either come from our upbringing through professional experience through educational experience, all these things that have conditioned us to on a subconscious level, respond and process these things, you know, and you have a, a flight or fight response to a lot of these things. You, you accept this information, you don't. And then what do you do with it? At what point in time do you actually start cognitively processing what it is that you're experiencing or thinking about? He could have a bias just on how he views you. If he didn't know you really well, he gets hired. He comes in and he thinks, Corey wants me to do this a certain way based on what limited information he has. You seem to be like, uh, you know, analytical person. You have like um, a bottom line in mind. So he's like, I'm going to make choices based on what I know of Corey. And he's doing the job related to that. And it wasn't until this conversation you had with him where he opened his mind and saw, oh, there's more to Corey than I believed there was or that I knew there was. So in essence, he had somewhat of a confirmation bias. He's doing work for you based on the idea he has of you. And until you went and changed that idea and added more information to him, he's making choices based on that. And then you realize that and we're like, okay, I want you to view this. I want you to think of these things and I want you to start making choices based on what I actually want you to do is increase production and and do all of that kind of stuff. So like, And then one of the things in that article that was really interesting was talking about how you could raise a child to be very open and very um, analytical and and very questioning of a lot of stuff and and try your hardest to not be involved in echo chambers in your life. Um, I think of the uh, movie American History X. um, Great fucking movie, by the way. Just Jesus, what a performance all the way across. But look at how they laid it out. What how did his programming and his racial biases start? by sitting at home and listening to his dad talk shit about stuff. Right. And use super inflammatory derogatory terms and stuff. Somebody that he viewed, like most of us, our dads are kind of our idol. And if they talked about like that, you're getting programmed at such a young age to be in this echo chamber or be in these, these confirmation bias categories. But let's say you weren't like that. You do your absolute best as a parent to do that. Well, for better or worse, we all color our kids. We all like will influence our kids even while we're trying not to influence our kids. And so Oh, it's one of the things I love about where my daughter is in life is she's now out in the world getting to consume stuff in her own space. But I have to acknowledge she will always be a byproduct of her mother and I, and then all the other people that have been uh, involved in the raising of her. It would be extraordinary for her to go out in the world and turn completely 180 to, to who we are. And it would probably come more from... Um, uh, having a really contentious youth, like we didn't get along. We, you know, and then you're like, fuck you, dad, I'm going out in the world. I'm going to be exactly what I don't want from you. Um, so it's, 
as you go down this rabbit hole of stuff and you try to think about like, what am I impacting in my children's life? What am I impacting in my family's life? What do I have to be careful of when I'm talking in my like social structures? What do you have to be careful of when you're dealing with your employee? You know, like we have to work really hard to be uh, better than the things that we're setting up inadvertently around us. And I think for me, and I know you and I have talked about it too. One of the things that kind of started us talking about this topic a while back was people that we know in our own life, you know, like we see these things, we have friends that own businesses and do certain things in life. And, and we see them, um, like create these structures. And then we see them going down on a path that it may be different than the path that they were on when they were with us. And then we look at themselves, like surround them with more of the same. And you look at that and, and I've worked with people like that too. I had a, a colleague in Southern California that was, um, heavy confirmation bias driven. You look at it and go, when you surround yourself with people that constantly tell you, yes, that's probably one of the most dangerous things that can happen. And that's one of the dangers of being trapped in confirmation bias is it feels good for validation, right? It's so hard for us to go, let me go make a friend. That's always going to tell me what a fucking idiot I am. You know, like that wouldn't be a really great friendship. Um, but I feel like that's my role sometimes for folks, but, uh, just kidding. I don't think any of my friends are idiots. Um, if people don't know me really well, I've just got to interject this here. I'm heavy on sarcasm and it just <laughs> does not fucking translate when you can't see my face or no, not don't know all. me in person. But most everything I say comes with like massive heavy sarcasm. So I apologize in advance if that doesn't translate. But you I know, like one of those DJ buttons, you know, like that, but it's yeah. like sarcasm, sarcasm. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that'd be great. Let's keep you work on that for the next show. That'd be, that'd be awesome. Yeah, absolutely not. Okay. Um, but really we like acknowledgement. We like validation. We like people to just even nod your head, you know, like feeling good. Yeah, sure. So if you're giving a speech to a crowd and they're all like on their phone or have their arms crossed or rolling their eyes, you'd be like, Oh fuck, I'm not, I'm losing them. And then, so we might sway what we're going to talk about. Or if we're getting applause, we're getting all of those things. Those are huge forms of validation. That's what happens on the internet. You get all these accolades. And then if somebody throws in something contrary, we fucking block and delete them. Um, that person that I worked with in SoCal was famous for that. Anybody that threw up anything that was mildly contentious, obviously if they're using vulgar words and stuff like that, sure. But once it got to a point, it was like block, delete, ban. I'm like, I get the point because you're trying to run that page in a certain fashion and you don't want the negativity. But I've been really careful about trying not to do that on my own business pages. So I'm like, hey, I want our customers to see that there is a whole other world out there. There is people that completely disagree with the way we train dogs, that disagree with our philosophies and stuff. Put it out there. I'm not going to argue with you about it. It's just there and, and people can expose themselves to it. And if they choose to align more with that, then they wouldn't be good customers for, our, for us. But I look at those things and go, okay, so if you're sitting here surrounding yourself with um, yes men constantly that think you're the smartest, brightest, you know, like <laughs> you're good enough, you're smart enough and doggone it, people like you. You're probably not old enough to know that from Saturday Night Live, do you? No. Son of a bitch. <laughs> I need you to do some research here before these shows. Right. That's a huge danger in, in any culture that you're creating of um, and, and trying to, to excel or succeed. How are you going to be successful if nobody ever stands up and says, hey, man, have you thought about this? Have you thought about maybe the path we're on um, isn't where we want to be to get there? Um, because as much as we all believe we're doing the right thing all the time, there are people out there that have 
different viewpoints and alternate viewpoints and things to offer that can help. Like maybe the contrary view is what helps you get to where you actually want to be because it helps you navigate something that's coming up. And you're like, I never thought about that because maybe my idea was just steamrolling people and things to get what I want. But Hey, this idea over here, um, could be more helpful. Well, it's kind of like we were talking about before the show, you know, um, you were, I was sharing some information about a relationship I had with a friend that had recently passed with Ashley. And I, I had lived with this person for about a year and it was the ultimate like confirmation bias. Like we, we did everything together. <laughs> we had the same views, our things, same types of music, food, booze, uh, light, late night entertainment, you know, sport bike, stuff like that. And, but it literally took him being that alternative perspective, you know, to really help me, uh, gain greater insights of what it is that I needed to be doing at that point in time with my life. And so even though I was in this echo chamber, it, you know, it, it caught me off guard. I wasn't happy about it. It took me a long time to become okay with what had happened. Um, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. you know, but if I wasn't willing to listen and I wouldn't have listened to anyone else, it was the investment in that relationship, um, that while I didn't like what I was being told, I needed to hear it. Um, you know, so now if you fast forward that into your thousand or 1500 online friends, you know, how much time and effort and energy are you really going to give that individual into, okay, you know, taking stock of what they're saying and, and what was their motivations behind saying it, you know, because I, I mean, Twitter's limited on characters, I think. Right. So you can only, exactly, yeah. you can only say it in like 140 or I think it's like 220 now. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't really use it, but this is like, I guess it would be what quips, you know, like these very small, very short, you know, ways of saying something that's very long and complex. Mm -hmm. And if it doesn't capture your attention, then you're not going to further investigate whatever that is, you know? And so going back to how social media is designed and people bidding for your attention, you're being shown these little things. They're going to elicit that emotional response to pull you further into it. You know? So I guess what do you, I'm curious to know, what are you actively doing and have done that maybe has led to a greater success and not falling victim to developing a confirmation bias or falling into an echo chamber about certain things as maybe you would have in the past. Um, I, I try to maintain opposing viewpoints on my Facebook feed. First and foremost, there's a lot of people on there that post things that, um, right up front. I'm like, Oh, I don't like that. You know, I, I don't agree with that. Uh, I think that right now is a great example in history because we just had a super contentious presidential election and whatever side of the camp you fell on, this was either a tremendous victory for you or a tremendous loss. And so, I mean, like more so than I can remember in, in my time as an adult where politics have mattered, this was like a massive win or a massive blow. And so I think our natural reaction would be whatever side we're on to either cheer on our victory or crawl into a corner and and lick our wounds and be pissed about it and stuff. So what I'm trying to do is maintain alternate viewpoints where I can. Uh, And then quite frankly, um, seek out uh, alternate viewpoints. I called you this last week about something that, that I was working on in my, in my personal life with a nonprofit that I've been involved in and I needed some guidance for it. And the reason I called you specifically and, and to be, I'll just throw it out there. Um, my wife was like, 
kind of, why didn't you talk to me? And I was like, well, I did. I talked to you first. I told you what my struggles and my frustrations. I've shared all of it with you every time it's occurring. And so I've vented to you. But I also know exactly what her response is going to be. I know her quite well. And, and I know how it's going to come at me. I know how it's going to be formed. I know the words that are going to be said. And then I have a couple other friends who I could have called as well, but I also know what their responses are going to be and how the discussion is going to be laid out, how, how it's going to go, the information I'm going to get out of it. And, and what I needed from you specifically was your analytic brain. I knew that, that the way that we've interacted now for quite some time, I know the questions you'll ask, maybe not like I know what they're going to be, but I know how they're going to be phrased. And I know what that conversation was going to be and the journey that it would take me on, which is exactly what I needed to gain the clarity that I was struggling with. Typically I'm a type of person. I have no problems making decisions right or wrong. I just fucking make them go and you know, we'll pick up the pieces as we <laughs> just blow shit up in our path. Right. But I really wanted to think this through because I was having a giant fucking emotional response to a couple things that occurred. And I wanted to be better than that emotional response. Cause my initial thing was just like, fuck this kind of thing. So I needed you specifically to do what I knew I would get from you, but how much worse would I have been if I just called up the person I knew that was going to be like, ah, you know, feel the same way I did. And I didn't need somebody to be emotionally offended on my behalf. And that, cause I wasn't going to get anything out of that. So I kind of extrapolate that into my social media feeds and stuff like that. I'll be honest with you. I don't even know how it happened, but like I consume the daily wire by Ben Shapiro. I get, I'm on his email list. I like reading the articles because even though I know the conservative viewpoints, actually more libertarian viewpoints, I know how they're going to be worried worded, which is not incredibly right leaning. It is, but it, it's not like completely off the rails, like a Rush Limbaugh type of thing. But I've also gotten signed up now for, I think it's something, it's a newsletter called like Oxy. I don't even know how it happened. It's probably one of those things you just like shit pops up everywhere now. Um, like all the Indian website designers that now want to redesign my website over the last two weeks. I don't know where that came from, but like every person in the world that designs websites thinks mine sucks somehow and is telling me about it. So uh, I got off on a tangent there, but uh, so I got uh, on this oxy um, newsletter thing and I was like, I don't know what the fuck that is. And, and I opened it and, and it's, a very left leaning is almost like, like, well, far more left leaning than the daily wire is right leaning, but it's a contrary point. And I started reading it and every article, how it's written, the titles and everything is like hit me in the gut going, I don't like that. I get, Ooh, I'm having a visceral response to it every time of like, I don't like that. And so I keep reading it because <laughs> I'm like, yeah, it's not going to change my opinion and it's not going to change who I am, but I need to know that there are people out there that feel this way that would consume that and, and go, I, I agree with that, or I feel that, or I need that. And, and so, and I know those people and I have to be able to talk to them and, and, and they might be customers of mine that are sitting here during dog training. And I can't just fucking walk out wearing a Trump hat and go like, fuck everybody else. It doesn't work that way. If we want to play nice in the world, like it doesn't work that way. So that's, I think what I try to do well. And I try to also look at, um, people that I know that are trapped in their own echo chambers heavily. And this is where I know I've lost friendships over it and stuff because, um, they don't want to hear it. You know, and so I look at that and go, 
well, I can be like all the other people they've surrounded themselves with, or I can be blunt and say, I think you're wrong, or I think you're a fucking idiot, or I'm going to kick you in the dick. Might've said that recently, but, uh, what service would I be doing to somebody that I truly care about by just going to, to avoid conflict, just go, eh, or not say anything, just simply not say anything. And then by my own silence, I'm just validating their, their beliefs. Yeah. Cause then you can become morally complicit in what's taking place. Sure. You know, in addition, you're compromising your own values, mm-hmm. you know? So it's, you know, it's hard because a lot of people will respond, well, why are you doing that to me? And it's like, well, hold the fuck on. I'm not doing anything to you. I'm expressing my opinion. That's the first thing. Like, I'm not punching you in the fucking face. Like, you, if I hit you in the mouth, right, you can be like, okay, why are you doing that to me? Right. That's you know, that's a fair question, right? But if if I'm investing time and energy to sit down and have a conversation, an in-person, meaningful conversation, I've expressed the intent that I would like to share a topic to, I just, I, I find it troublesome that people are less inclined to do that, right? Mm-hmm. And I mean, even, even the podcast right now, though, the way that we're doing it, like we're sitting across from each other in a small room and we are engaged and we're, we're focused on each other's mannerisms, body language, and all those things. We're feeding off one another where you're I focus on that sign behind my head. That's just like, no, now that I know that you're, <laughs> you, you're aware of it and that wasn't your intent. Yeah, I'm okay with it. I can do, I can accept the fact that it was a mistake and not something that was done intentionally to hurt people like me. Um, <laughs> but no, I, I, we don't live close to one another. Yeah. Right. And so I wanted to do it over the internet, mm-hmm. right. You advocated against that and sitting here having these conversations and talking about these things. There's a lot that would be lost in having a conversation as if you were talking over the phone versus having an in-person conversation, being able to read, you know, body language, you know, and pairing that with voice inflections and, and other things that go along with that. And, I guess it's it's hard because so many so many people's interaction is taking place on the internet, right? Yeah. Whether you're you're reading these articles and these newsletters that you're getting subscribed to, which you probably don't have like a private domain registration to answer your point of how you're being solicited by all these companies, right. you know. But, I'll get um, IT on that. But tomorrow. yeah, there's yeah. <laughs> Let them know when you say yeah. uh, you know. But there's there's all these things that go into it. But then that's just one aspect of it, right? But then I could use the fact that, um. My mom grew up in an abusive household and very just a fucked up childhood, right? And, and things that were verified by other family members and my aunts and stuff. And it's just like, holy shit, uh, which is why I chose never to have a relationship with my grandparents. But as a kid growing up, my mom absolutely groomed my perception of them and what was taking place. And it's interesting now because you know, fast forward so many years, she's still attempting to manage my perception of the family and people that she's not getting along with. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's so much as, is this a bad thing? Mm-hmm. Or are you afraid that if you lose, my parents on the best relationship. So if I'm no longer on her side, she has no one on her side. Yeah. And so it's like, Hey, if this person calls you, you know, don't, don't answer the phone. Don't give them any information. And it's just like, hold the fuck on. Like I'm my own person. Like, if there's a problem, tell me what the problem is and and I'll give you what my two cents are. Right. But I know that she's less than likely capable to give, um, an open-minded perspective of what the problem is and how her role within that is promoting the problem or not promoting it or what have you. 
I think my mom super struggles with that because she's always like, why don't you ever tell? She watched like Mental Health Mondays when I was doing those. And I'm sure she, when she finds out about this podcast, she'll start listening to it. And she's like, why don't you ever talk to me about those things? I'm like, because I know my mom's opinion on me. <laughs> like, I know what I'm going to get. You're you're great. You do everything the best. You just like, I will get no like, hey, dummy. <laughs> she's got the shovel. Yeah. yeah she, she's, she, she's ready to go. Yeah. She's just like, you know, you're the smartest. You're the best. You're the fastest. You just do everything thing great best podcast i've ever heard with all eight subscribers you know and it's like <laughs> mom i'm not joe rogan don't worry about it it's okay but in mom's eyes i am and so you're kind of almost in the, like the alternate to that is you're not going to get that information from your mom that, that you're seeking because she's like keeping it from you she's trying to to still keep you in the 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 echo chamber that she created inadvertently wasn't on purpose. Well, maybe it was when you were young. Maybe no, she was like, I don't want these people in your life because I don't want you subjected to what I was as a child. Or what we could also see too, to just spur further thought for future conversations is maybe she didn't want to see her parents act differently to you and her children to their grandchildren than they were. We all know that, that grandparents soften. I've watched it my whole life and uh, with my grandparents and stuff. And, and I've watched it with my own parents, with my child. And so it's like, maybe she didn't, maybe as she started to see these things and she's like, that's not those, that's not who they are. That's not who I remember them as. So I need to. Oh no, absolutely. And, yeah. You no, know, my mom, you know, based off, you know, just to, to respond to that quickly is my mom got the worst out of it out of five siblings mm-hmm. and a bunch of time had passed. And then my grand. My, my grandma, I'll, I'll never forget it. I'll never forget the smell. She was a chain smoker. No, I think she's still alive. I shouldn't be talking about this. She's, she's dead. I don't know. Um, but she was a chain smoker and she would always send QVC items. Oh, and she would just ship just copious amounts of shit to my parents' house for me. Huh. But she would get it sent to her oh. and then she put like a card and something in it. So it reeked of her perfume and oh. cigarettes. Like, I mean, like you knew where this package was coming from before you even opened it. Yeah. You know, and it was, do you know the perfume? No. If I, but if I found it and sprayed it, you'd have all those, those memory flood back to you. Right. So remember when we talked about like, why are you doing this to me? We Uh we could get to the, why are you doing this before Uh I hit you? Cause I don't, I don't want to go back to that. Yeah. yeah. It is a repungent smell, but, um, but no, so it's just, you know, it's, it's interesting that you say like how grandparents often and stuff, because yeah, I, I definitely had a different experience versus her being sexually assaulted and, you know, beaten with a hammer and create, I mean, when I say fucked up, like we, the definition of you didn't die, you know, and at times where she's like, well, you know, that would have been a better alternative. I'm like, Fuck well, yeah. you know, good for me. You didn't do that. Cause sure. I'm here. Right. Um, you know, but it's, it's hard because she, she lives in this very, uh, victimhood, lifestyle where the world is out to get her. Right. She's had to fight for herself. She doesn't trust anyone. So I'm that last, I'm the only thing that's quote unquote pure in her life. Right. Even though I was a complete asshole and to fuck up for an extended period of time, you know, to your point of you can't do any wrong. You're my baby, this and that. And so she's just like, wants to keep me on her side. And it's, yeah. and it's hard because I don't want to be another person in her life that battles against her. Mm-hmm. And so there's sometimes where I just shut the fuck up and let her go. Sure. And it's like, cool. You good? Okay. You feel good? All right. I'll, I'll, I will either bury the shit out of that conversation we just had, mm-hmm. you know, or I'll process it later at some other point, mm-hmm. you know, but it's hard because I don't, I don't want to be her echo chamber. Right. I don't want to be a person she's battling against. I don't want to put more distance between her and I right. fully knowing that she doesn't have anyone else. 
And even though she's so adamantly feels so strongly about these various things. And so it's just like, it's a balancing act. Right. And, you know, one of the points I wanted to make is that I think this is a very difficult time for people that are in the middle Mm -hmm. for people that don't want to be on a team. Mm -hmm. You know, they don't want to pick a side. They want the best result. They don't, they're not interested in treating symptoms of a problem. They're interested in getting to the root cause of the problem so we can actually move beyond that. Right. And that takes a lot of work. That takes a lot of patience. It takes people being genuinely invested in whatever it is, right? You could use climate change, you know, as an example. Say you ran into someone that has an opposing view on climate change for or against it, right? How many of those people can actually back their beliefs with scientific information and research that they've done on their own? Right. Versus, you know, regurgitating a talking point that was communicated by a talking head or a figurehead that they subscribe to. Well, how many of those people are actually out there doing anything with action as well, right? We all can sit here and say, we don't want the oceans to rise. We don't want the polar bears to die. We don't want, you know, the rainforest cut down and stuff. Um, But do you ride your bike to work? And I'm not talking about an electric bike that needs to be recharged off of some sort of grid or by solar panels that were manufactured in less than ideal conditions in China or windmills that have all these other side effects. I'm talking about pure human powered bicycle uh, that still has a carbon footprint. It still had to get over here from somewhere. And that's a shit ton of like fossil fuel burnt on a ship to get here. So let's not kid ourselves with, with all of this stuff. These, that's the danger with these echo chambers and epistemic bubbles and stuff is we're all shouting that. And then you kind of go back to your own little life and go, yeah, but I'm not living that way. Exactly. You know, like is it, as much as, as these ideals get us entrenched into our, our little worlds here, um, you know, we all still drive. Like I think of the people in, in government right now that are shouting the loudest about the green new deal and stuff like that. How many of them fly, fly privately, uh, to get to where they need to go into big meetings and stuff. Are any of them riding their bikes around the Capitol grounds? Or are they like being whisked away one person at a time in, um, car services and this, cause it's like, oh yeah, well that's, that's for someone else. You know, um, I look at, uh, yeah, just, just the footprint of all that stuff and go, well, look, if we all want to start to change this stuff now, how do we change confirmation bias? Well, probably the easiest would be to start with your own actions, right? Just like start being what you espouse yourself to be or what you're shouting or what I've entrenched myself into be. Um, if I'm going to believe these things, well, then I should start to live a life that is, uh, way more indicative of my beliefs. We don't, we are living our lives indicative of what we want other people to live. And my beliefs are what I want you to do, but not me. Like, I really don't want the environment to go to shit either, but, uh, I have, well, I have an e-commuter bike right now that I have really thought it, it would have the least carbon footprint of anything I'm willing to actually do. I'm not riding a regular pedal powered bike around here. Like, sorry, that's that ain't going to fucking happen, but I have this e-bike. It'd take very little to charge it up. I can go great distances on that thing. Uh, if, if, but well, I'm going to come down and visit you guys in Rancho Cordova tomorrow, which for those of us worldwide that would be listening to this, uh, um, Corey lives about 30 minutes from me by car. I'm not riding that fucking bike down to your house. And I could, there's nothing to prevent me from doing that. I've had probably five appointments this week where I didn't need to drive that car in any fashion, but it's cold. It's raining. It's got fenders on it. I could have done it. I could put my little raincoat on my little gloves. I could have rode my ass all over town on that bike to do that. 
But my confirmation bias is like over in this camp of like, fuck those green new deal people over here and fuck their ideals and fuck that. And that, but really I don't want the world that, that they're claiming is coming anymore, but none of us collectively are sitting and doing anything about that. And that's really what, what the problem with these epistemic bubbles are. One of the quotes from this thing is epistemic bubbles also threaten us with a second danger, excessive self-confidence. The more we put ourselves in that camp, the more we believe we're right. And the more you surround yourself with people that are like, again, not only just what you're consuming, but an epistemic bubble is and the echo chamber are, I'm actively trying to subvert the other side. And so you further isolate yourself over to here and you have all the confidence of people telling you, damn right. Yeah. Let's like get 10,000 of our friends and march with the same idea. And we'd all stand around screaming and everything. And what happens if the other side shows up? Let's fight them. Like literally that's happening right now. So that's really one of the dangers of all this stuff is, is that self-confidence. And we see it with some of the things that, that have decided like the, the people we know in our lives that have kind of spurred this conversation, which dis- which led to our decision to do this as a as a topic, people that we know that are making choices in their in their life that that maybe we all don't quite agree with, or that we're sitting there going, "You're driving yourself farther away from us." And maybe in our friend group, we are the middle ground. We're the ones like, "Hey, we want the best for people. We want the best for you. We want the best for for where you're at." And this is how we kind of view that. Here's our contrary viewpoint to like you. Here's the, the things that we see like self-destructive tendencies, the things that I want. I've, I've lost some friendships over the last couple of years. And I've purposely not tried to go pursue those friendships over the last couple of years. Cause I know what they bring to my life and it would just be more of my self-destructive tendencies. So maybe that wasn't the best validation. And maybe me calling you the other night, because I know you're going to say some things to me that are, that are open my eyes and make me go like, well, I want to scream and shout about this thing, but Corey's going to make me look at it from another viewpoint. Maybe that's the healthier option, but that's really fucking hard to do, especially the deeper you get into an echo chamber. Um, yeah. Uh, so I think kind of to wrap this up as we kind of narrow down on towards the hour mark here that we always want to try to keep these two is, um, how, do we actively fight confirmation bias? How, how do we push back against this? How do we recognize it? How do we see it coming? How do we realize that we're stuck in echo chambers? And kind of the way that article laid it out, and I think why we stayed away from a lot of that article was it seemed to get kind of heavy. Like if you're in an echo chamber, you are in a cult and you would never realize it until somebody comes in and uh, does an intervention on you and steals you away from the cult. We don't want it to make it that heavy because I don't think most people are down that far. If they are, uh, maybe they're so far gone that <laughs> they're going to have to hit rock bottom or they're going to have to hit up against some hard. They're going to have to that. choose before they're going to be actually receptive to new information. Yeah. So what we look at is how do we get out of that? How do we actively fight confirmation bias? And, and what are some of the things we can do again to kind of touch on that article? It says, luckily though, epistemic bubbles are easily shattered. We can pop an epistemic bubble simply by exposing its members to the information and arguments that they've missed. And I was like, when I read that, I thought, oh, so it could be that simple, you know, depending on how open somebody is to something, but also in the way that you present it. Exactly. So if you just simply say, hey man, this is what I hear you seeing, saying, and this is what I've seen a lot. Hey dude, have you ever, have you ever thought of that? Um, 
I was going to use a personal example of something that happened today, but I don't want to out the people involved. I was like, no, that's super personal. Like, um, but on a group text we had this morning, there is some different viewpoints that were, that were offered about, Hey, maybe you're looking at this too narrowly focused in this one fashion and just look at the bigger viewpoint. What were you trying to accomplish today? Um, was, was the actions that you thought weren't occurring that actually did end up occurring. Let me see what make that super vague. <laughs> that did end up occurring. Isn't that what you actually wanted? Not vague enough at all. Not vague enough. Um, no, no, well, no, it's, it's, it's very edit that and cut that uh, out. No, 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 it's there. <laughs> no, but I, you know, the, the hard part is, is that, you know, watching that conversation unfold, you know, I, I can insert past experiences and insights into you know, the people that are participating within that conversation and understand where they're going and where they're trying to go. And maybe where, um, someone wasn't as clear as they needed to be in regards to what it was they're trying to say. But the thing is, is that while we all enjoy each other's company, I think we all appreciate and respect the fact that if we are, I mean, acting off base or, you know, um, or the kids say coming out of pocket, um, is that what they say? I, I think, I don't know. I, I'll have to ask my son. Oh my I'm old. So yeah. you're older. Is that, you know, we have to be receptive to alternative thoughts. And anytime that someone comes to me for feedback, thoughts, or considerations, my own goal is to help them ask themselves questions maybe they didn't ask themselves. You know, because I find myself... Uh, when I actually stop and really self-analyze what it is that I'm doing and why I'm doing it, why do I feel the way that I do? And I really ask myself those difficult questions and I force myself through that thought exercise. A lot of times I land on a, on a different conclusion, you know, and sometimes I might have to go back, apologize to someone or what have you. Um, but going back to your point of how do we work through this? How do we help escape some of these um, echo chambers and things like that without you know, to reduce the risk of falling victim to that or to establish um, some form of dialogue with someone that has a, an opposing view. Packaging is absolutely key. And one of the things that I found great success in is just going to that other person and saying, hey, can we grab a cup of coffee? Can we have lunch or something? I'd love to better understand what it is that you think or feel about the specific topic. And just listen and listening to understand instead of listening to respond. It's, it's a very different thing. You know, are you, are you listening to engage someone in a conversation or are you actually listening to understand them instead of going, I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't have said that this way. Right. And, you know, putting all your old bullshit aside, it's hard, like active listening skills. You know, you have to deploy those things. And, and while that person is talking, are you listening to be able to interject your part? How much do you cut somebody off? I, I truly enjoy this form of communication because it's going to train us both to, to be better. And hopefully you guys all listen as we do like many, many episodes. And by the hundredth episode that we get out there, you'll hear us. Cause I don't know Corey well enough to know, like we haven't spent years together talking and, and learning our speech patterns and stuff, but I'm having to talk, let him share his thoughts read some notes that I have and make sure we stay like somewhere cohesive in here and then bring back, but also listening to him while he's talking and going, okay, I'm reading something, but I also have to listen because I'm going to have to jump back into this conversation here. Um, but, but truly push yourself as you're out there in the world, listening to somebody, are you an active listener or are you simply waiting for your chance 
to be heard by somebody that's also trying to be heard. Yeah. So I would say, you know, offer to buy someone a cup of coffee that has an opposing view on a topic or maybe someone that said something in the past that you didn't agree with yeah. that you would like greater clarity on mm-hmm. and give them the opportunity to change your mind. Not saying that you're foregoing your own personal beliefs and your ability to make your own decisions, but just go into openly, you know, welcoming new information and, and see what comes of it. Yeah. You know, cause maybe it'll spur some new thoughts. Maybe the, the conversation will unfold. Maybe it'll afford you the opportunity because that person has now felt heard mm-hmm. for them to also hear what it is that you're having to say, mm-hmm. you know, and, and hopefully it can become a, a more meaningful topic. Yeah. To reinforce the relationship. And I think it would be super important to go into that with the mindset of I'm simply going to talk to this person and I'm going to spend time with them and we're going to both walk out better humans than you can't go there thinking I'm going to convert them. I'm yeah. going to sell them. No agendas. No. It's funny you brought that up because I, I hadn't thought about it until you started talking about it. I did that one time. Probably one of the one of the best experiences I've had from an online interaction and the most uncomfortable that I've ever had um, because of how it came out. And I would challenge all of you listening out there, all 17 of you right now that are digesting this. Uh, we, we know how many people are watching. We see the views. Like you're, <laughs> we're going to get up into the hundreds. They're not watching any of this. Oh, that's I really true. hope they're not. I mean, well, my NSA agent is for sure. Oh yeah. Maybe. Well, you close your eyes and you envision what we look like. So maybe it's like, like head movies that are playing right now. But really, as you listen to this, what I, I would encourage you all find somebody that is, that is, contrary to you on the internet that obviously is close enough to do this with that you don't know you you can't know them well right and go meet that person exactly like Corey said go meet him for coffee i did this with a person like as the internet goes i don't even know how he came onto my facebook page i don't know who he's related to i don't know how how this person came came in here but through following following algorithms oh yeah yeah, Facebook said the zeros and ones. The zeros and ones. Gotcha. Yeah, it was just like I, I literally and I and I picture exactly who he is and what his name is, and I still right now don't know what our connection is there. I didn't go to school with him. I didn't I haven't worked with him. He's in nothing like that. But we're on Facebook, and obviously my background is law enforcement, and and I've been been involved in a lot of stuff in in law enforcement. One of the things I'll talk about on here at, at some point is is an event that that led to me getting out of law enforcement. Uh, finally, it was a long-term thing, but I was involved in a police shooting. I shot and killed somebody in, in the line of duty. And so in watching this stuff, it's probably four years ago ish, three years ago, somewhere in there, this person had a lot of opinions about police use of force and police shootings and, and, and things of which I knew they have no factual basis on. Like you've never been there. You've never been involved in it. And yet we see those discussions all day long. And I have couple choices. I could just mute those conversations and go, ah, fuck those people. They don't know what they're talking about. I could keyboard warrior them and just spend hours like, ah, you don't know what you're talking about in a more direct fashion. Or what I chose to do is literally invite the guy to dinner. And we went to dinner and, and that's why I was uncomfortable. I don't know him. <laughs> like showed up to the thing. And I think maybe he thought I was coming to like get him in a, in not like direct fashion, but like are we going to sit in a restaurant and argue? And and we didn't, we, we talked, I talked about his background, talked about my background and, and kind of didn't even really talk much about why we were there. I was just like, Hey, 
I want you to get to know me as a human being. You have this view of cops that, that I think a lot of people can tend to do. And so like get to know me as a human and realize that if I talk about my experience, I'm talking about it from a very human perspective and not some monstrous killing machine thing. And so maybe you see me a little bit differently and, and I definitely see you a little bit differently because I, I need to hear people from communities that are struggling with police interactions and stuff like that. I realize that my viewpoint for my entire adult life is very jaded and, and very specific because of my background. So how could I do that? Well, that's the best example I could give you was I just simply went like, I can go back and forth with this guy all day long. And we were pretty respectful if we did comment on stuff, but our comments got lengthy enough where it was like, fuck, what is this even getting us? Let's sit down across from each other. We live close enough to, to each other to do this. It was less than a 30 minute drive for both of us. And we did it. And that's the only time we've ever met in person. I still follow him. He still follows me. He still has his viewpoint and I still have my viewpoint, but I think I respect him more as a human. And hopefully he does the same now for, for having met human to human and exactly what Corey was saying earlier. You can do it via FaceTime. You can do it via all these other channels. It's not the same as sitting across from somebody and, and reading their body language as to like, when I say this, I'm not saying it with any animosity or I'm not saying it with any of this, but like, we, we, we understood each other better after that. And, and again, I didn't walk in there trying to sell him a car and he wasn't trying to sell me a car. And we, we understood that we were just acknowledging each other as humans. And I think really, honestly, that if we di dissect what is, what is happening at the basis of all of this, that's what's happening is we've disconnected from each other. And so yeah. reconnecting in some fashion and putting yourself in uncomfortable positions is the, is one of the ways, I'm not going to say the best way, but it is right up there with one of the best things you can do for starting to grow as a human being. Because I think really, if we always keep coming back to why are we doing this podcast, it's to get all of us to grow. And I know for Corey and I, if we're just being selfish, these conversations help us grow. We we push ourselves. We explore things. Fuck, I'm writing notes. I've never done that before. Uh, you know, we're, we're doing um, things in this podcast to grow as humans. And so the fact that we're recording it and sharing it is like we don't have any um, bigger uh, ideals right now. I mean, fuck. I do want to be a millionaire. So however you guys can help make that happen sooner than later, um, <laughs> that's great. But at this point, unless some uh, listener like sends me a check for a million dollars, this is where we're at. We're simply talking to work through some things for ourselves, record them as they're happening and go like, huh. And this jumbled convoluted conversation that we've had. And you're looking at my sign again. I can see it right on your face. You judgmental bastard. And uh, yeah, as we, as we work through this, as we figure out, different ways of doing stuff and you open my eyes and I hopefully do the same for you or sharing it out there. So hopefully people can do the same thing. And, and what I would challenge you all to do is go do exactly what I laid out. Find somebody on your Instagram feed, find somebody on your Facebook feed, meet in a public place. So you don't get murdered in a ditch. Like I can't have that on my conscience, but go talk to a human being that you don't know and walk away going like that person wasn't all that bad. I think, I think a lot of people would be surprised. And I know that, <clears throat> you know, as we were trying to wrap it up, we, we, we struck on a very important topic relative to what we've been discussing, you know, but the thing is, is that think about it, the, the amount of effort that it takes to meet someone at a restaurant or a, or a coffee shop or what have you versus the interaction that you have when you're sitting on the crapper first thing in the morning and just like, Oh, 
I'm going to just go ahead and do it. I mean, just think about the, the, the mind space that you have. You're starting your day off that way. A lot of people do that. Mm-hmm. You know, they roll over, they grab their phone, and you're confronted with something you don't agree with. And now you're immediately battling the fucking internet mm-hmm. and these ideals that have nothing to do with your actual life. And now you're, you're in this fight or flight response all day. And just think about how you feel, how much energy you're using, you know, and, and you know, all the, the physiological responses that come along with that, you know. And yeah. so the, the point I wanted to make is that instead of doing that, set the time aside with someone else, right? With how much effort it takes to actually go to a restaurant, right? You are making that person a priority. They're making you a priority. And in turn, you'll feel good for that. Put the phones aside, turn your ringer off. Like be dead to the world, be present and engaged in that interaction. And I believe that you'll, you'll walk away with a much different experience. Yeah. Especially if it was contrary to you just going out to dinner with your buds, right? We could have dinner with each other, like as much as our families would allow. And, but you could go out there. And I think that's important too. stress relief, you know, talking, working through things and stuff like that. And having, having friends and relationships is really important, but spending making a conscious effort to go if i was going to go to dinner tonight i could go with Corey or some somebody else that's a friend of mine that would just we would feel more like each other we would sit there for an hour and validate each other or i could make an effort to go sit with this person who's going to have a contrary view to mine it's going to put me in some uncomfortable positions but at the end i will probably be better for it um maybe that would be a better investment of your time here and there and and we would move towards understanding each other all a little bit better. Yeah. We can't forget to to exercise the most important muscle we have, which is our mind. Oh, is that what it was? Okay. Maybe. I, don't know. I mean, I was going to say something corny, like, you know, like, and you know, maybe this is a potential remedy, you know, for some of the issues that people have been experiencing. Damn. Yeah, That's I know. Deep. I like how you worked right? that in there. Yeah. So funny that you want to throw that name right in there when you fought me so hard on that name for just like weeks and days. Oh, I haven't fought you on anything yet. That was, that was, that was pretty like, okay. I'm not saying no, but I'm not saying yes. Yeah, you're antagonistic. Maybe. Yeah. No, you just didn't see it, but now you do. Now you just threw it in there. All you see a whole branding thing, too. <laughs> I, think, I think you're thinking of like uh, sheets and comforters and stuff right now with Remedy all over it. Yep. Everybody wants to make those for us. Uh, we're willing. We're open for sponsorship ideas. Yeah. I'll put Kohl's one. Tell you what sponsor us. Yeah. <laughs> Sponsored by Kohl's. All right. Now we've gotten silly. Yeah. Fuck out of here. We got to wrap it up. 